Hi, I'm Jessie Draper. I am first and foremost a mom, a boy mom to be exact, a boy mom who invests in female-founded companies. Yep, the joke's on me. I'm the founder of Halogen Ventures, a former entrepreneur and creator of an Emmy-nominated television series on technology. My mission is to support women and help raise awareness about the biggest issues facing society, women, and families today, starting with solving childcare. From celebrity guests to founders and politicians, everyone came from a family somewhere. And I want to hear from you, the families of America, on how we can make change because I can't do this alone. Let's get started. We have monumental work to do. Mommy, mommy, mommy. Dr. Gail Saltz is a clinical associate professor of psychiatry with the New York Presbyterian Hospital and the host of two podcasts on iHeartRadio. She's also a best-selling author and wrote a children's book, which, as you all know, we love on this podcast. Her book, Amazing You, Getting Smart About Your Private Parts, is about presenting appropriate information to your kids on reproduction, birth, and their bodies. She also offered great advice on how to deal with children and social media. So listen up for all the answers on that. Here we are with Dr. Gail Saltz. I am so excited to have you today. I mean, you are a wealth of knowledge as far as I'm concerned. Typically, we start our interviews with a mom win of the week. So if you have a mom win, please feel free to share. It can be anything around you, around your kids. For me, it is, I'm getting an impact award on Sunday and it's a community impact award. I've never gotten an award in my entire life and I don't even know why they reached out to me. Yes. Thank yes. you. I'm really yes. excited about it. And so I give, a little, really I give a little speech on Sunday. So that's kind of a mom win and my kids are surviving and alive. So that's always good too. I have a seven, four and one year old. So what's your mom win of the week? Gosh, well, actually, I was just reflecting that all of my now adult children, sort of newly adult children, have moved back to New York City. And I consider that a huge win. That's a that huge they want to be win. anywhere near me, you know, that, that, they, that they are working and independent and but still enjoy coming back home and spending some time with us. So that to me is a big mom win. I'm, I also consider it a win that many of my kids' peers who are looking for mental health care will ask them to ask me for referrals, which I consider to be a huge win. A, that young people are like, yes, it is important to get mental health care B, I don't have to be quiet and ashamed about it. I can be open about it and it is not stigmatizing and that they would trust me to help them find somebody really good for them. So I, I, I consider that also a big win all around. That's when you know you've made it, when your kids' <laughs> friends are asking your advice. I think that's huge. Those are enormous wins. And also having everyone move back, that must feel so good and amazing. It does. It does. I have to I have to hold hold myself back to not get, you know, you know your temptations, <laughs> but I am secretly and now I guess not so secretly quite thrilled. <laughs> Amazing. So we like to kind of touch on news of the day and how it relates to kids. And you are a, an expert on 
all things psychiatry, especially when it relates to children. But I wanted to talk a little about right now just social media and mental health. And what do you think and what do you know about how social media is affecting children of this kind of next generation? And especially coming out of COVID, what what are you seeing? It is a real mixed bag. And, and I think we knew this before COVID, but it's amplified, certainly it's been amplified in the COVID situation, which is that on the one hand, it is great to have ways of staying connected to people, especially when you were forced to be separated over that time period. So to be able to stay in touch with people So using it as a vehicle to stay in touch with people that you actually already have a relationship with, I think that's really kind of the key. Um, On the other side is that, you know, kids spend way too much time on social media. It is quite addictive. It is mostly serving to make them feel that everybody else is living this picturesque life, this pop having no sadness, beautiful, you know, cool, all all of these things that they think they want to be, which probably they don't actually want to be, but they think they want to be. And is is just the, the FOMO situation is so amplified. That is not good. It does cause anxiety. It causes social anxiety. It causes a lot of mood issues for kids. So, you know, I, I think that that doesn't serve a great purpose. Unfortunately, not all social interactions are good ones. A lot of bullying now happens online, which is worse than it was before social media because bullying has never been good. It does cause long-term anxiety, long-term depression. But now you're available 24-7 for bullying as opposed to just when you're housed within your school, let's say, and home being a safe space. So there may be no safe space, and and that is a a real problem. There There are a lot of different kinds of problems. People in my field were trying to find ways to develop social media or at least apps, I'll say, that could be used for treatment in a constructive way. And that can be a good thing. But again, on the flip side, there's a tremendous amount of misinformation, particularly in mental health, or too little information with just like one dollop that just doesn't suffice that poses as real mental health information on social media of all sorts. So that's that's also a mixed bag. You know what I love that you said is how it is a communication tool. So you and I are using Zoom today, for example, and how you were saying it's, you know, the key is to have the kids talking to someone they know. And it is, it's true, like outside of their network, that's where these problems are happening. And that's where it's, it's bad as they're growing up because they don't know any different and they are envying these things on Instagram and the bullying. I mean, it's out of control. It really is terrible. So I I love the idea for parents out there to think about that as their kids are growing up, like it's fine. Just keep it a closed network as long as you can. Maybe that could be an interesting. Yeah. Keeping a closed network or frankly, just not introducing them as long as you can really hold off. You know, you don't want your child to be so far out of the loop that it creates isolation for them. So I'm not trying to say, Hey, don't let your child have a phone till they go to college. I'm not saying that Um, you want them to be able to discuss the zeitgeist of life in the way that their peers do. But you really should try to make them, let's say, a late bloomer, you know, hold off a bit, try to limit 
be aware of what they're doing. I I know not everybody agrees on this, but I am not against looking in on what your child is doing. Right. You know, people say, oh, that's spying. That's terrible. This is your child. You know, I think that letting, I don't think you should secretly do it. I think you should let your child know that you will need to have their passwords and you will occasionally need to look in on what's going on really for their protection, for their well-being, just like you wouldn't drop them off at a stranger's house and say, bye, see you in five hours. You know, you you need to know a little bit of what's happening. And I, I think that you should be aware. You should have parental controls. And, and we do, unfortunately, need to protect our children. I completely agree. I think that's, I mean, I only have a seven, four and one year old. So it's easy to look in on what they're doing right now. But and I think that's completely fine. And as they get older, I mean, I hope I can still I I hear these stories from friends of mine with older kids. And it, it is it's a dangerous time. It's a scary time. And so those are all really great suggestions. This show's about child care. And so I'd love to just hear a little about when your kids were growing up, what did you do? You were a working mom. And how did that work? What did your child care look like? Mm-hmm. Well, I am, I fully admit, I was incredibly fortunate to be able to afford to have somebody come and help me when I couldn't be there. My deal was that I pretty much always brought my kids to school and as often as I could, which was a good chunk of the time, maybe 50% of the time, pick them up and be there for that after school time, talk to them about their day and what went on and be around for homework and and misery and whatever, <laughs> maybe, whatever might be happening. But that being said, yes, I, I work and, and I needed to have somebody around who could pick them up, who could be there if I could not. If I had patients that need to be seen, if I had a sudden TV engagement, things that I really was committed to doing and had responsibilities to do and wanted to do, wanted to do. So it was a mixture. And this is, I think, less often the case now, but in the community that my children were going to school in, I would say, interestingly, less than half the moms were working. So sometimes that was hard because, you know, my kids had less of me than some kids had of their moms coming and being present on the one hand. On the other hand, my kids saw me working and were at alternate times like, that's cool. I think what you do is interesting. Let's talk about it, which I did, which I did talk with them about what I did. So that was sort of the the, the mishmash. And also key important is that my husband was as invested in my working and momming as he was in his working and daddying. So there were plenty of times when he would break away and say, nope, I'm, you know, you got to go to NBC. I'm taking the kids to school. I'll call them and let them know. Tell that patient I'll be 30 minutes late. And I think having a partner that is, well, it was certainly key for me. I'm, I'm quite confident I could not have been as present or we together could not have been as present and as successful in working hard at our careers had we both not been mutually like my turn, my turn, you know, or I got to fill in whatever it might be that I think that is really important. So I was fortunate. I have a, a 50-50 partner as well, and he would call it 100-100. And he just started working with me actually a couple of months ago as our CFO. And it really is, I mean, I really need that. I needed him to sort of step in, especially with the three kids. And um, I think that's sort of the way of this world. But there still are a lot of moms who don't work. And like, that's not to 
celebrate you staying home with your kids is is very hard work. It's much harder work than I very think I could work. do. It was a gift that yes. I got to have the career I've gotten to have. And, you know, yes, it Completely. is very, very, there's no doubt that when I was home, that was harder. Right. You know, that was harder. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like I, mean, I wanted to and it was joyful, but it, it's it's hard. It's yeah. hard. I mean, my oldest right now is a real mental challenge and it is hard when I am home. I'm like, he's negotiates so much better. I should have him negotiate all of my deals. Honestly, he's like so good. And then how does that differ from how you grew up? How did you grow up and what did childcare look like in your home? And was there anything you kind of tried to do similarly or differently? Yeah, I think the model was set for me early. My mother was a psychologist in a day when, wow, yeah, great. you know, there weren't, you know, women, forget it. She was like the only working mom. And she was the first female Woodrow Wilson fellow as, as her means of paying going through her PhD. So it was particularly unusual in her time. And having two incomes was important in my home. And really, you know, that, that was really needed to education was super important. I think that was modeled for men and women. So both of my parents were like, this is how you've grown up and we expect you to do do something as well and to get the education that you need to pursue, whatever it is you're going to pursue at a high level and be with somebody who supports that. I think all of that was, was modeled for me, which so I never really questioned it. I think it is harder when you are the first in your family to do all kinds of things. Oh, definitely. And I love hearing that education was so important to your family and has been passed down as just something that everyone holds in very high esteem. I think that, um, I don't know, I just think education could solve the world, the world's problems, you know, and so that's kind of one of the things we're focused on around childcare is like, how do we kind of look at education and change it a little bit. So you're talking about how you were, when you were raising your kids, you were working, there weren't a lot of working moms, what would you say? And what do you say to moms who feel such immense guilt? when they leave the house to go to work, how should they deal with that? I think everyone, every mom has it. For me, I just shut the door and I sort of say, when the door is shut, I'm a different person. I'm out, I'm out of here, you know? Yeah, I, when it comes to guilt and overarching, the umbrella over guilt, which I would call ambivalence, maternal ambivalence, all mothers have some ambivalence, some mixed feelings like, I am not enjoying you right now. You know, you're, and I have thoughts about that. Or like you said, or guilt, you know, I feel badly when, if I'm not with you, but I also, when I'm with you, kind of wish I could be doing something else. And maybe that's not work. Maybe that's something else or fun, but those, but basically mixed feelings, all the mixed feelings we can have through motherhood that are not a purely, this is, this is the best, happiest moment of my life is normal. What's problematic is not being able to acknowledge those feelings and know that they're normal and know that they don't mean you don't love your child and you're not a good parent and accept them and allow them to be present in your mind and, you know, think about them and process them in a way. Yeah. When we don't do that, that's when they have the power to really make us feel 
intense things that seem like they signal really bad stuff, like serious guilt or, you know, really miserable, really, what have I done and I've ruined my life, you know, a lot of negative feeling. So what I try to say is, it's about understanding, okay, you know, I feel bad that I can't be at that thing, but I can't be all places at all times. I'm giving my kids certain things by working. Right. You know, what am I getting? I'm also entitled to have certain things. I get one life. I'm giving myself certain things by working and that's okay. That's great. And I think it's being able to process that and acknowledge it, be aware at the time that allows you to not be overwhelmed by those feelings, you know, um, sometimes it's also, I often end up talking about this about to moms who were like, I couldn't take my kid to the pediatrician. Oh my God, I feel so terrible. The truth is most moms actually kind of want to take their kid to the pediatrician. They would like to be there for that, but it doesn't usually occur at the most convenient time, right? right. It's that pediatricians don't have evening hours or whatever. So somebody else might need to do it. It's better to be able to say to yourself, not I'm just so guilty. I wanted to. I'm disappointed. You know, it's fun to hear what your kid weighs and how tall they are and what they predict for them. And like, you know, it to be involved in that stuff is enjoyable in some ways. It's okay to say like, oh, I'm bummed I missed that. I wish I could have. Maybe at some point I will. Didn't work out this time. It's a mixed bag. You right. got, you can't have everything and you can't have everything. Right. I think that's, you know, that that's, that's part of mothering. And by the way, not working mothers can't have everything either. But, you know, I, there are definitely things career-wise that I gave up along the way and made a decision vis-a-vis -vis mothering. You know, maybe an opportunity, but that really would have taken me away in a major, major way. Or content that I, you know, I do a lot of sexual content, you know, at the time when my daughters were like in late middle school and early high school. At some point I was like, hey, this column that I write for a magazine where you guys really want me to be super edgy and super graphic because that's what you think, you know, your readership wants right now. You know, those columns are being brought into my kid at school. I think I'm going to have to like for a couple of years, maybe yeah. ease off that. That's amazing. Yeah, you can't have everything. And and you do have to sort of make these trades as a parent. I'd like to jump into one other thing. Because you're a professor of psychiatry and brilliant at all of these questions, we haven't talked on this podcast about the baby blues. And I'm curious, I think it's something that no one warned me personally about. And I definitely had postpartum depression, I think after all three. I mean, I look back so my youngest is almost two now, but I look back even to nine months ago and I was like in a very dark place. And yeah. I, how do you kind of coach parents through that and how normal is it? And then does it happen after every kid? Is that normal for everyone? Yeah, it's such an important topic and it's amazing to me, but still many psychologists don't talk to, they should pre-speak pre to every single woman about this possibility because first of all, so baby blues, which is not postpartum depression, okay. it's pretty common, you know, like many, many, many women experience basically emotional ability or it could be feeling down, it could be feeling up and down and up and down, but emotionally not yourself in the, let's say two weeks following giving birth. There's a lot of hormonal fluctuation. It affects most women in some way or another. And, uh, but it can really freak you out 
if you don't even know what is happening. It really so, freaks you out. I mean, yeah, I it, really it, was freaked out. I was yeah, like, what? Yeah. Who am I? Yes. And that's scary. Just yeah. that is scary. If someone just said to you, hey, this is normal and it's going to last maybe a couple of weeks, right. you would already be in a very different place. So that's important. However, like one to two out of every 10 will really develop postpartum depression. And it is important to know the signs of that. Not only that she know the signs of that, but that her partner and family members, that the public is educated because sometimes when you develop postpartum depression, one of the first things to go is judgment. And so your ability to reflect that that is what is happening to you is impaired. And so people around you need to know that is what is happening so they can help you get care. So baby blues, technically, you don't have to have care. I mean, it lasts for two weeks. If people around you understand what's going on, if you understand what's going on and you have support, what's important there that you have support so you're not overwhelmed, that you get sleep, which means someone has to do some of the getting up at night besides you, because if you remain completely underslept, no support with baby blues, it can worsen. But if those things happen, you probably don't need psychiatric care. If you do develop postpartum depression, which means beyond the two weeks, you continue to have either emotional lability or depressed mood. You're, you may have trouble sleeping, even though you're exhausted, you may lose your appetite. You can't concentrate on anything. Anything that used to give you pleasure doesn't give you pleasure anymore. Maybe you feel numb. You feel like a little foreign from your baby, disengaged. You don't feel joyful at all. If you have this combination of symptoms that's going on, then you should see a psychiatrist, really, a, a mental health provider. Talk therapy can definitely be helpful, but some women do also need medication if, if it's true postpartum depression and it's moderate to severe. Right. And medication is, you know, any one of a number of antidepressants. Women who go untreated with postpartum depression can feel like harming themselves. They can feel like harming their baby. They can be unable to care for their baby. It isn't good for a baby that has a mother that is ongoingly depressed. We know that isn't good for them and their mood and their development, right? Because it's that bonding and it's that interactions, that affect with a mom's face that babies need for development. And so if a, if a mom is depressed and disengaged, that's another reason to treat, but also really left untreated. Some postpartum depressions can just go on for like a year, two years, and can develop into psychosis. So having thoughts that don't have anything to do with reality that can be dangerous. So it is important. It is important to, if you think it's postpartum depression, it's gone on for more than two weeks, it's severe, you're not sleeping, you're not eating, you're not engaged with your baby, you're not enjoying anything, that woman needs to be evaluated and treated. That is so helpful. I know all of our listeners will be so happy to hear all of that information. A little known fact, postpartum depression can develop later. So anytime up to and including year one. So they might seem okay, and then like two months in, three months in, they develop depression, even six months in. That is still considered postpartum depression. And it's just as important to get them seen and treated. Yes, I've heard of that late onset 
postpartum depression. That is really helpful. And I know everyone, I think that's just so important for everyone to hear. I certainly had postpartum depression after I believe all three of my kids. My first one's fuzzy. You know, you like look back. I can't even remember the first <laughs> child, honestly. You, if you had it once, you're, you are considered at higher risk yeah. for developing it again. And, and in that sense, if you've had it once, you do want to talk with your obstetrician about, you know, what, what should I do and what can I do preventatively right, to try to head this off at the pass. I like how you were saying, make sure that the people around you, you have a good support system, but it is also important for significant others to hear and be aware of this. That's very helpful. So tell us what you're working on. You have these, you have two podcasts that everyone has to go listen to. One, how can I help? And clearly she's already helping me here. So everyone needs to go listen to that. It's an iHeartRadio podcast. And then and then the other one is called, tell us what is this called? It's called Personology. Yeah, yes, I was looking personology. For personology. So personology, yeah, is completely different. It's those are basically psychobiographies of historic figures. You know, what made them tick? Who were these, you know? Vincent van Gogh and Abraham Lincoln and like cool historic people and who almost invariably had a psychological or psychiatric problem and what made them tick and and what in that allowed them to be as instrumental or iconic as they are to us today because of what they did. So those are the stories. I talk with historians about the individual and we sort of do a little psychoanalytic dig and try to understand them. And how can I help is really very service oriented. You can, whoever you are out there, <laughs> write me a question related to relationships or mental health or parenting, sex, and I answer those questions. So that one comes out weekly. That's fantastic. And you do such great work. I I listened to How Can I Help this morning. I was listening to all of them. And one I was really sort of tuned into was um, you did one on friends, how to keep the good ones, discard the bad ones and make new ones. And I would just ask you very quickly, what are the, you know, what are the two kind of, what's the difference between good and bad ones? I mean, at the simplest level, right? Good friends bring out the best in you, ultimately not maybe at every moment, but good friends have you have real intimacy, you have real trust, and and they want the best for you and you want the best for them. And in that sense, you bring out the better in each other. Toxic friendships we talk about really have most to do with when, in a sense, that's not what's going on, that the person doesn't want the best for you. You don't necessarily want the best for them. When you're together, it tends to bring out not the good things in yourself, the things you don't like about yourself. We know that friends can greatly impact all kinds of social behaviors from what you eat, weight, how you behave, infidelity, all all kinds of behaviors that when you hang out with that person may be influenced and stoked because that's what they do. And if you, I, first, I always say, talk to a friend about what's happening. Like I I leave and I feel less than, or I feel bad about myself, or I do things I don't like to myself and talk about ways that you might be able to interrupt that if that person's amenable to doing that. And ultimately, if they're not, and that just continues, then that might be a friendship that isn't worth keeping. 
That is super helpful. I feel like I'm having that moment in my life. I think it's also the friend shift, like when your kids are little and you're sort of making different mom friends and you're kind of figuring out how to navigate that. But I think it's helpful for everyone to hear and just, you know, refresh your friendships or make sure that the people are bringing you positive, good things. So everyone needs to listen to your podcast. And what else should we know about you? Oh, goodness. Well, I'm just out and about all over trying to talk about, I guess, important issues going on right now related to mental health. We could be talking about the unfortunate rise in drug overdose deaths right now since the pandemic. We could be talking about mental health issues in young people, loneliness, which is a growing problem in teens and adults, gun violence, which is really not a mental health problem, though we are most often tapped to talk about it because that is what certain groups want to say is the problem. But we know from data that really it is the number of guns and access to guns that is the main problem because, of course, we don't have different numbers of mental health problems in this country than other industrialized countries, but we have a huge number of deaths by gun. And one of the biggest sources, admittedly, however, of deaths by gun is suicide. And so It is important to, and this is something I do often talk about, is what do you do if you're concerned about somebody? How can we, what are the red flags? How can we change laws so that people who we think are at risk, we can remove firearms from? How can we remove them from people who committed domestic violence? Because we know that's another high-risk group in terms of gun deaths, those sorts of important news issues. So yeah, news programs and writing. So we need to tune into all of your incredible work. And she's on Instagram, so everyone should be following Dr. Gil Saltz on Instagram, right? And then it's time for our goodbye story. So we always do a goodbye story. And, you know, I asked what your favorite children's book was, and you have a children's book. So this is the this is a first for us, and I'm so excited. And it sounds like an incredible one. So it's called Amazing You, Getting Smart About Your Private Parts for ages kind of four to seven. So my kids, I'm going to be buying this immediately. And it's the synopsis is, Mom, where do babies come from? Many parents live in fear of the day their child asks this question, which inevitably happens often as early as preschool years. Here's a picture book designed especially for young children who are becoming aware of their bodies but aren't ready to learn about sexual intercourse, written with warmth and honesty by Dr. Gail Saltz. So tell us about writing this and tell us what we'll learn. Well, I, I, this is now not a new book. It's been around for a long time. I originally did a series actually on the Today Show about talking to your kids about the birds and the bees, which many parents find to be very difficult. I had many friends who in, in, in days gone by would say, you know, I'm just struggling. Can you talk to my kid about the birds? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. Okay. It is really important, but I, I, a lot of parents really feel like if they have a tool, it's a lot easier for them. So this is the tool for the youngest kids who, and I would say the most important things are using the correct anatomical terms, which many parents do not do. And guilty, guilty. It's really important for kids to know those words because they're going to go to school and say whatever funny word you gave them and no one will know what they're talking about. And they may even get teased about that. But it is important if something's going on and your and your kid needs to vocalize it for some reason that they're not talking about hoo hoos or hee hees or things that, you know, are just not not terms. So give them the correct terms. Talk to them. And this book helps to do this, too. 
about private parts being private and nobody should ever touch their private parts except them. But I also do talk in this book about that kids will want to touch their private parts and that is okay, but they should do it in private. So teach them how they can do that. I mean, not directly how they can do that, but that if they want to do that, that is not something you do in a public place, but also you don't want to reprimand them for that because it is normal and you don't want to give them issues about that going forward in the future. So covering those different areas, this is for the young kids, so it does not cover intercourse. So for the parent who's not ready to talk about that, fine. but it, it does give those basics, which I, those three basics, which I think are really important for those young kids to have and like where a baby comes out and how it's not scary, et cetera, et cetera. So you wanna be the source for your kid because when your kid has questions, you want them to come to you. Right. And not go to, you know, Joey on the street corner and get misinformation yeah. or get scary information. So you want to set the groundwork that you are open to it. You're the source of information. You're very comfortable talking about it. This is healthy. This is normal. And you want to be there to answer any questions that they have. So this is such an important book. So everyone should be reading this to their kids. Amazing you and getting then, smart And then about eventually you come back and you say, gosh, darn it, Gail, all I'm hearing from my kid is vagina. Well, trust me, in the long run. Yes, I'm so, I mean, this is so great. I definitely am guilty of, you know, calling it a PP or something like that. And we've, I've tried to rectify that because I heard I should be using the anatomical terms. And then I have said to my sons, because I have sons, don't do that here. You can do that in private though. Like, so I love hearing that that's what I should be doing from the expert. So I'm definitely going to buy this book and we will be reading it momentarily. Thank you so much for being on the show and for all this great work you're doing, healing human. And I know we both have to go because we have some monumental work to do. <laughs> we always have mommy mental work to do. It's so true. So, um, it's endless. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. So this today. was so great. Thank you so much for listening. Please write us a review if you liked us. Tell us what you think. Follow us on Instagram at monumental.podcast or at Jesse C. Draper and tell us who you want to hear from and how you think we can solve child care. Also, please give us five stars. <laughs>